Stonemeyer Games, and I'm here as usual at 10 o'clock St. Louis time on Wednesday morning. Last week, if you tried to join or maybe you watched in the future, you might have noticed that it was a shorter video than usual because Facebook kept cutting out after around seven seconds, or seven minutes. I got through seven minutes and then it would cut off. And we kind of patched that video together and put it up on YouTube, or Joe did. Uh, today, I hope that doesn't happen, but I wanted to give you a heads up. In case that does happen, uh, I'll give it a few attempts and, and then we'll call it. But uh, it seems to be working better since then. Um, you can see Walter in the background there using the bathroom as he does. Um, <laughs> I think Megan's in a meeting too, so she's closing the doors. Uh oh, we're gonna have some cat anxiety here. Okay, we'll see how that goes. Um, hey, Chad, thanks for joining me. Walter actually had to go to the vet yesterday to get his teeth cleaned. He had some plaque built up, but the vet said that his teeth are actually looking really good. Um, he only had one tiny tooth pulled. Apparently, it's one that cats don't even really use anymore. And he was a little wonky yesterday when he got back. But he also got microchipped while he was under. And so Walter can now use a special feeder that I have. It's on the ground. Back. I don't know if you can see it. It's right down there um, where he just sticks his head in the feeder and it opens up so he can eat his kibble. And Biddy can't get to the kibble, which has meant that Biddy has spent the last 12 hours trying to figure out how to break into this kibble machine so that he can have all the kibble. Good morning, Chris, Daria, Tony, and George. I hope you all are doing well today. Um, so that's the Walter news of the day. Let me do chocolate of the day before I forget. Um, what is my chocolate of the day? I just finished off a box of chocolates from Bissinger's recently, which was delicious. And today, what, what was my chocolate of the day today? Actually, we picked up some truffles from Whole Foods recently. We haven't opened them yet, but I'm looking forward to opening them maybe at game night tonight. So that, I'll call that my chocolate of the day. What is your, if you are indulging in anything fun or delicious or healthy today, let me know in the comments below. Um, what else is going on? Uh, let's share some Stillmeyer Games news. Actually, here's a fun little thing. So in the mail yesterday, I got an unexpected package from my manufacturer, Panda. And Panda has started doing this thing where whenever you uh, produce a certain number of a specific product with them, they send you a little award to kind of celebrate the moment, which I thought was really nice. And so they sent us uh, these awards for Charterstone saying uh, we are proud to present this award to Stillmeyer Games for surpassing 100,000 copies of Charterstone manufactured with us. So yeah, there are 100,000 copies of Charterstone printed out there in the wild in all languages, um, all languages available for Charterstone. And they also have one for Red Rising. Got these on the same day, 100,000 copies of Red Rising. Must be something maybe they look at at the end of the year. And I don't have them here, but I'll show you the box that came in because also in the box, actually, can you see it on camera? There you go. Um, in the box was also a wooden panda, like a big wooden panda meeple, the biggest meeple we've ever seen. Um, and so we now have four wooden ones and one big heavy one for, for uh, Wingspan for being the only game that we have that has surpassed over a million copies manufactured. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Good morning, Nathan, Yoa. Uh, Chad says his special treat today is homemade banana nut bread. That sounds good. That sounds really good. And Blake says his chocolate today is plain and simple chocolate advent calendar, nice and waxy. <laughs> yeah, that's the odd thing about advent calendars. I want to someday have like a really, really good advent calendar because they all end up tasting like a little waxy, a little plasticky, at least the ones that I've had. I've heard that the Trader Joe's one is pretty good, so I'll have to try that at some point. Uh, my friend Mitchell recommended that one. Um, what else is going on in, in uh, Stillmeyer Games news that you might want to know about? 
I had a nice chat with uh, Roberto over at Sheer Boredom the other day. Uh, that's a YouTube channel, Sheer Boredom, because Roberto is both a gamer and a YouTuber, but also a, uh, a hairstylist for his, his uh, career. And so he has some fun interviews with people where he cuts their hair and gives them like a gaming-related interview while the haircut is happening. Um, we, we didn't do that. We just had a regular chat about Design Day, which was a couple months ago, and Roberto attended Design Day, got to hang out with him there a little bit. And so we kind of had a, a recap, a retrospective of how the Design Day went. Design Day, if you don't know, um, I, if, if you're not familiar with that concept, is a prototype playtesting day that we host every year um, for other designers. That's not for Stillmeyer Games products. It's for designers that just want a nice, welcoming, warm atmosphere to playtest their games and people who enjoy playtesting and want to playtest stuff that might be coming out in the years to come. And it's just a fun day that we host that we enjoy doing at uh, Pieces Board Game Bar and Cafe here in St. Louis. So that's, that's what we do once a year. And if you're interested in that, if you like the sound of that, uh, look at our web store. Um, it might just be on the U.S. web store. Maybe it's on the other ones, but I think it's just on the U.S. web store because we mostly only get U.S. attendees. And look for Design Day, and you can sign up for a back-in-stock notification. Even though it might say 2022, that notification will be something that we use for future years as well. Blake says, what if we made a Stonemeyer advent calendar filled with fan favorite chocolates? That would be cool. It would be, yeah, it would actually be, I wonder if there are any services that let companies customize calendars. Not necessarily advent calendars, because not everyone celebrates advent, but um, the idea of a chocolate calendar sounds really cool. We can make little, each one look like a different game or be like a little, uh, look like a piece from each of our games. That could be that could be good. As long as it's really delicious chocolate. It has to be delicious chocolate. I've learned the same thing with t-shirts, right? Uh, you can make t-shirts, but if you don't make them out of nice materials and fitted and nice, uh, uh, and I know that's subjective, uh, different sizes, different cuts for different people. But if you don't make the t-shirt high quality, people aren't actually going to wear it. And so uh, I'd rather spend a little bit more on a nice t-shirt than... Um, than spend less on a t-shirt that, that no one's actually going to wear. So I, I, I love the, the cut and the, the feel of our the Stomar Games t-shirts that we make. This is the Ambassador t-shirt here that I'm wearing today. Um, some games I've been playing lately. I play, actually played the old Libertalia on Board Game Arena last week because the new Libertalia isn't there yet. Hopefully it will be someday in the future, but we had a great time playing that at our virtual game night. And I also played with Megan and my friend Henry. We played First Ascent which is a game about rock climbing, and it is really good. I was surprised by just how good and clever and innovative this game is. I think it's from a first-time first, first designer, uh, Kate Ate, or Ote, um, or Ott. I don't know how to pronounce Kate's last name, but Kate did a great job with it, and I talked about that in yesterday's video. Um, I talked about Clint Catacombs in last Friday's video. I think this one, the Clint Catacombs video came out. And this Sunday, my video was about, what was my Sunday video about? Let's see, Sunday's video. Oh, it was about six different categories of games. So it was like categories that I've been procrastinating talking about. Um, here, I'll read out what the categories are. The categories were my favorite games for non-gamers, my favorite team games, favorite easy to learn, hard to master games, favorite games where you build a map as you play, favorite out of print games, and favorite fictional games. So like games that are mentioned or described in works of fiction, novels, TV shows, movies, that, that sort of thing. So it was a fun list to do. I kind of consolidated a bunch of them because I, I didn't really, I don't know, they aren't categories that I think about a lot. And so I didn't really want to do a top 10 for each. I just wanted to maybe highlight 
a couple games that I think about in those categories and highlight my, my favorite game right now in the, each of those categories. Chad says, have I had any good playlist recently? Playlist. Are you talking about music, Chad? What, what, what category are you thinking of there? Adam says, have you started any end of year list for any media? So my method, I'm glad you brought this up because it's been on my mind. My method for doing end of year list is to wait until the year is over. Um, I see a lot of content creators across all forms of journalism post end of year list before, before like in December, but a lot of stuff happens in December. I still watch movies in December. I still watch TV shows. I still read books. I still play a lot of games in December. So I typically wait until either the very last week of December or the first week of January. Um, and for games, I definitely wait for the first week of January because I might be play I might play a new game from 2022 on December 31st. Um, and I want to be able to talk about that in my end of game list. So I have a running list and running ideas of things that might appear on this list, but they probably won't be posted until the first or even second week of January. What do you all think about that method? I don't know. Do you care? I don't know. Do, do, you, do you care exactly when those lists come out? Uh, do you find it odd when an end of year list comes out before the year is over? What do you think about that? Nathan says that his, him and his family played our weekly game of Rolling Realms. That's awesome. Talking about games that we're playing. He says, got to let everyone know about the new promos I ordered to ship them across the country. Thank you, Nathan, for sharing that. Um, hopefully some of those new promos have started to ship or started to maybe even arrive. But I know our fulfillment center, particularly in the U.S., is, uh, has kind of continually been beyond, uh, behind for the last couple of weeks. So we are pushing them to get out those orders uh, this week. Uh, at the latest because they don't have that many orders and they should be able to ship them out. Chad says he's waiting for Libertalia to arrive. He ordered that from his friendly local game store recently and he's also getting Merchants of the Dark Road delivered today. Beautiful production on that game. George says, any updates when the rubber playmats will start to be shipped? Yeah, that's uh, that's the update. Although I was talking about the U.S. The other fulfillment centers should have already started to ship them. Although um, it is a very busy holiday shipping season so I understand it's going to take it might take a little bit longer than usual, but at the same time, we need to, we will be pushing them a little bit to ship things by the end of this week so they can definitely arrive in time for some of the, the later holidays, um, Christmas and the like. So I will, uh, I'll make a note about that, George, because I did talk about the U.S. today, but I was kind of assuming that some of the um, non-U.S. fulfillment centers were on top of it. Because usually the U.K. and Australia either works in Spiral Galaxy are really great they usually are really on top of it so if they're not on top of that probably means they're bogged down with other things right now i see so chad's meant uh any play tests that i've been involved with lately and yes i had a play test this past weekend that went really well we also got some play tests data back from play testers that i analyzed actually two different products that i analyzed this week so a lot of um kind of data and report analyzing this past week for some, some products that hopefully will come out in the next year or so. Blake says, do I have any plans for the holiday season? Am I going anywhere? Nope, we're staying in St. Louis this year. My mom is coming to us and we're gonna celebrate Christmas with her and with Megan's family right here in St. Louis. I'm looking forward to that. Keeping it fairly simple, but um, we'll, have, we'll have my mom in, in this room actually. She'll be staying here. Nancy Jane says she likes that method. So I was talking about the method of waiting until the year is actually over before creating end of year list. Um, Nancy Jane says movies particularly are packed in the final last two weeks of the year. And yeah, that's a great point. Like 
there's some big movies yet to come out this year. Avatar, big and small movies. A Avatar, I'm excited about. I'm really excited about the new the Knives Out sequel. Um, so I wouldn't want to make a list until I can actually watch those movies. Although I won't ever be able to watch or read or play everything. It's just the things that I've played. But there's certain things that I definitely like to get in by the end of the year. Brandon says, do you have a weekly group that you play with? If so, do you tend to pick games ahead of time or do you try to decide in the moment? Starting up a group soon, he's trying to see what others do as I've been part of groups that have gone both ways. It's a great question, Brandon. I do have a video somewhere about my game night preferences that you can check out if you'd like. My answer is that I currently have uh, a couple of weekly game nights, um, two of which I host. One is virtual, and that's every other Wednesday. We use Board Game Arena for that. And then the other week in that, the other Wednesday, is in person. Um, this is something we got into the habit with uh, with COVID of doing. And um, I usually have a few games. Like right now, I'm hosting game night tonight. I have a few games on the table. What do I have? I have uh, Clint Catacombs. I have uh, First Descent. And I have uh, Lands of, uh, of Galzir. And there's one other game that I have out there. I can't remember the last one. Can't remember the last one, but I, I have a couple games out there that I am excited to play tonight. If uh, if that were to happen, but I'm also try just trying to stay open to um, other things that people bring. So I think that helps when you have a few things on the table when people arrive. So they're like, okay, I want to play this. I don't want to play this, just to give them a, a starting point, but also to remain open and flexible to people bringing things that they are really excited to play. And someone I think mentioned a while ago that they have a system. They have a formal system, but you can kind of also maybe informally do it as a host. Or if you see someone bringing the same game multiple weeks and it just isn't getting to the table, that maybe make that a priority. Like recognize that that you know they this person has brought a certain game multiple times, hasn't gotten to the table, where maybe you can be the one to say, hey, let's get that to the table this week. Let's make this happen. I think that's a, a good way to be a good host. Yeah. Philippe says he's about to buy Viticulture World. Can you give me one reason I should definitely get that expansion? I think the number one reason to get this expansion, Philippe, is if you are interested in playing Viticulture cooperatively. It adds a pretty awesome co-op mode, a pretty difficult co-op mode. So if you like difficult cooperative games um, and or you like Viticulture and are looking for a different way of playing it, uh, that would be my recommendation for, for, for getting Viticulture. It was a weird experiment to try this year, uh, to try that, because Viticulture is a usually a competitive game. And so uh, it, it is something that we haven't really done other than maybe one little thing. There's one little page in um, in the Rise of Fenris, not the campaign, but just a variant where you can play Scythe cooperatively. But uh, to go kind of all in on a cooperative mode is something that we haven't done. For an existing competitive game, this is something that we've done. And it's gone over fairly well. Let's see what it's rated on BoardGameGeek right now. Let's look up Viticulture World. I'm going to guess 7.9. Viticulture World Cooperative Expansion is rated 7.9 okay um only 635 ratings i know way more people have played it than that uh but yeah 7.9 on board game geek right now also quick reminder if you ha if you've played wingspan asia but haven't rated it um feel free to give it a separate rating on board game geek because it does count as its own entity its own game a standalone game and its own expansion on board game geek Adam says, have I read The Lost Metal by Brandon Sanderson? I am about 65% of the way through The Lost Metal right now. I'm really enjoying it. I'm curious to see what, what it's building up to. I can tell some things are in motion, but it almost seems like they're about to happen now. And so maybe there's more stuff to come after that. But yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, this is the end of the second Mistborn trilogy. And it kind of makes me even more excited about the third Mistborn trilogy too. Uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. But I am really enjoying it. Have you read it? Did you finish it? Where are you in that book so far? 
That's The Lost Metal by Brandon Sanderson, if anyone isn't familiar with that. But it isn't the book to start with. Uh, it is the last book of the second Mistborn trilogy. So if you're interested in this Mistborn trilogy, which I think is one of the best, I think the first trilogy is one of my favorite trilogies ever. Um, I, I highly recommend starting there. Uh, let's see. Uh, Adam says, how do, you, how do I feel about trying to add humor to board games? That's a great question, Adam. Um, I don't know. It's one of those things where I like it when it's done well, and when it's not done well, it falls a little flat. I think it's really done well in role-player adventures. I think it's done really well in uh, Clank Legacy. Different styles of humor in both of those, but but really really well done. Um, I think the key balance is to like still take the world and the game seriously, but offer realistic dialogue. Like in the real world, even even in the you know in any world. People are going to have different personalities. They're going to have different senses of humor, different senses of fun. And I think games that are void of that are kind of missing out on, on, uh, on adding kind of real character, real people personalities to the game. Um, but it takes good writing. I think it just takes, it takes a pretty good writing to put that in there. I also have seen some rule books of games that are either completely abstract, completely almost themeless, where there's a nice little touch of humor to the rule book itself. And that makes the rule book a little bit more fun to read. I think Dungeon Lords is somewhat famous for this, and there are a few others where, like, like even the designer pops up on the rule book and gives you some some fun tips in a fun and memorable and humorous way. So I'm all for that. I think it's just one of those things where it has to be done well. I think for it to work. That's just that's just my opinion. Tony says, speaking of Libertalia Winds of Gilchrist, any thoughts about creating a pack of new loot tiles? That is something that we've thought about for a while now, Tony. I don't want to spoil anything, but that is something that we have definitely thought about. Jordan is here to get a live update on Stomar Games activities. So let me see what else I can share, Jordan, about things that I'm working on. Like I mentioned, there, there's a playtest that I did, a couple playtests. I'm analyzing some playtest data, um, just doing my normal, normal weekly content creation stuff that I do here. Um, had some year-end meetings. I, I have annual review meetings with my coworkers to see how they're doing, if they're happy, if uh, if there's anything I can do to, to make them happier, to make them uh, to make Stomeyer better through them. Um, so I had some fun meetings with that this week with uh, with Joe and Alex. Um, what else is going on? I'm looking through my list of things that we've been doing. I did a blog post this past week, this past Monday, about the resu the results of our demographic survey, our annual. 2022 demographic survey and had some interesting results there. I don't know if you're interested in that, but I'll, I can go over that very briefly, a few of the, the results. So one of the results was I asked at what phase of the, of the gaming hobby would you say you're in? Things like, are you discovering exploring games? Are you new to the hobby? Are you growing collecting right now? Are you refining enhancing? Have you reached saturation or completion? Are you uh, downsizing? Are you at that point? And 52% of people said that they are in the refining, enhancing stage. Granted, this is the Stillmire Games audience specifically, um, but that was really interesting. Refining, enhancing, 52%. The next, and I do, I will, go, I will go over the analysis, but that's in the blog post if you want to check it out. Um, the next question was, how do you feel about Stillmire Games' eco-friendly efforts? And 93% of people said that either it's awesome or they're glad to see it as long as the game experience comes first. So, so they want it, but they don't want the game to lose anything as a result, which is totally our goal with our eco-friendly efforts. So that was encouraging to see. I wasn't sure if people really even cared what we were doing there. Um, 
And now I have a better idea of how, how they feel about it. They seem to, to actually care about it. And then I asked a question that I asked every year. This year, how many different campaign, legacy, or ongoing tabletop games did you play? And this year, uh, the number has changed a little bit over year over the years. And uh, it's pretty, pretty stark right now in that 56% of people only played zero or one games of this style, campaign games, over in 2022. So that to me is pretty not notable that, that, uh, that people aren't playing, like people are still buying campaign games, but they actually aren't playing them all that often, at least within the Stillmark Games um, world. And the last two questions I asked or that I featured were about digital games, asking people if they, uh, I, the question is how many digital versions of tabletop games did you play this year that inspired you to then buy the physical game? And then how many tabletop games were you considering buying, played it digitally and then decided not to buy? And so for the first question, uh, let's see, nearly half of people said that there were no digital versions of games that they played that that then inspired them to buy a tabletop game. Um, and then on the flip side, 66% of people said that there weren't any tabletop games that they were considering buying that playing the digital version convinced them not to buy. So I don't even really know what to do with this data in particular, but it's interesting to see how pe how the digital games are being incorporated into the gaming world as a, an ongoing consistent thing that many people are engaging with. I think probably most common, and maybe I'll need to ask this next year, next year's survey is, uh, I'm guessing many people now are playing some games digitally and are playing some games on the tabletop. And I'm talking about tabletop versions of games and digitally. I'm guessing a lot of people, it's the mix of the two. And that there are a few people where they only play tabletop games digitally or only play them on the tabletop. Yeah. Brandon says, any games you're looking to get updates on? Oh, I see. I think Brandon is talking specifically to Jordan here. Uh, Chris says, have I played any of the tiny epic games? He says, I, ha I only have Tiny Epic Dinosaurs and Tiny Epic Western. Dinosaurs is my favorite so far. What do you love about it? What is your favorite thing about Tiny Epic Dinosaurs? I have played a few of them. I've played Tiny Epic Galaxies, which I think is my favorite. I've played the original Tiny Epic... What was the original Tiny Epic game? Whatever the first one was. I played that one, and I enjoyed the combat system in it. I played Tiny Epic... Uh, the one that looks like Zelda. I played that one. And there might be one other one. But I think, yeah, I think those are the three that I've played so far. It isn't a series that I really gravitate to, but um, yeah, I, they're games. Uh, Jordan says he's looking forward to any tapestry news. The playmat and the new expansion, um, he's looking forward to them right now. He says that's our favorite Stonemaier game. Thank you, Jordan, for sharing that. Uh, so right now the, the, there's the playmat that's coming out and hopefully shipping this week to most people. Um, the the new expansion you're right I, I haven't shared news about that yet but i look forward to doing that in a month or so a couple months probably and uh we are also working on uh, a storage solution we kind of pulled people about this and found that more people preferred that we provide a really well-designed insert that can fit into the original game box that way we want we don't have to sell a big expensive new game box for tapestry the original box is big enough as long as we can fit everything in there for all of the expansions and so we are working with an insert expert to find and create that solution in a way that i think is very cost effective for you um, and so i'm looking forward to having the final version of that in the fairly near future i think they're at the tail end of, of testing on that insert right now 
Tim's talking about game night tips, which are welcome in the comments here. Uh, we had a question about that earlier. Tim says, says, we'd like to start a game night with one game already set up on the table to save time. That's clever. Yeah. I've done that. So I've done that sometimes, Tim, and I like it. Um, but I have also sometimes encountered where I've set up a game and then found that no one is interested in playing it. I think I had that happen with Dune Imperium one time where I set up the whole thing and then it just wasn't a game that people wanted to play that night. And so I had to undo all the setup, which, you know, added a good 20 minutes of setup and cleanup of a time that I could have spent doing something else. So since then, I haven't really done it. Um, but if there is an agreed upon game in advance, I think that's great to set that up in advance. It's a huge gift to people who are showing up if you're the host. If they know they're going to play a certain game that you already have that set up, that's, that's awesome when you can do that. Jordan says, can you share a quick link to the progress sheet because I can't find it? Yeah, it's on the news page of our website. I can definitely pull that up real quick. News. Here we go. Yeah, I'll post this in the comments below. This is a link to the progress chart. George says, any updates on the EU or European? It's, we serve all the all of Europe, not just the EU. Disc golf supply. Um, I think they're on their way, George. I, we received them maybe two weeks ago. I don't know exactly if they have shipped yet, but they should be on the way to the EU right now. We make them in the U.S., and so they have to ship from the U.S. to uh, to the U.K. Um, it may not be until early January that they actually get there. But as always, sign up for a backup stock notification. We'll definitely let you know when they arrive, when the restock arrives. Tony says his group meets for about four and a half hours once a week to game. He says myself and another person mainly provide the games. He and I take turns rotating each week to bring in the main game of the night, something that takes a few hours. Then the other person brings a couple of shorter games to play at the end of the night if time remains. I like that system. That's clever. We recently started having a short game night a couple times a year to help get those short games to the table. We play a game to the max of one hour, and if we don't finish it by then, we move on to the next game. That's an interesting solution. Usually we make it within the time limit for each, and it helps to make sure that those short games get their turn. I actually, that's interesting that you classify any game up to an hour of a shorter game. I would bump that. For me, that would be a game that's 30 minutes or less would be like a shorter game. Um, but if your game, but my game night is only usually uh, two hours, maybe two and a half hours at the longest. So uh, if we want to get in two games, one of them needs to be only around 20 to 30 minutes. Carl just rated Wingspan Asia. Thank you for doing that, Carl. And I say this without any influence over what you want to rate Wingspan Asia. Please rate it what feels right to you on a scale from 1 to 10 on BoardGameGeek. But I would always appreciate uh, when you rate our games and expansions on BoardGameGeek for the number that's right for you. Chad said, I saw the Dice Tower interview with Jeff Engelstein, and he said something that I really took to heart. He said, adding dice is much better than adding modifiers. Have I found this while designing games? Adding dice is much better than adding modifiers. So are you saying that like if you have dice in a game, that is much more satisfying to add and roll more dice than to add ways to modify the dice that you're already rolling? Uh, let me know if that's that's what you mean, Sean, and then I'll respond to that in the comments below. No, I'll respond to it out loud. You reply in the comments. I'll reply out loud. Philippe says, you convinced me to buy Viticultural World. I wasn't trying to convince you to do anything, Philippe, but uh, but that would be my, my pitch for Viticultural World if you're looking for a cooperative version of, of Viticulture. He says, how was the experience to actually rework such an incredible game? Was it painful or actually ran smoothly? Well, I, do, I, I wasn't the designer. I worked as a developer with the two designers, Francesco and Mahir, 
And they did run into a pretty big road bump early on where they essentially started creating a new game that didn't feel like Viticulture anymore. And when I realized that, I think it was really frustrating for them for, to hear that because they'd worked pretty hard on that version. But I had to be honest with them and say, hey, like this no longer feels like Viticulture. This feels punishing. And Viticulture is a very rewarding game. But after we realized that and they reshaped it a little bit, um, reshaped it completely actually into a, uh, a game that is very rewarding for players despite how difficult it is, I think it went much smoother. Um, I think maybe the one big surprise, the thing that ended up being difficult throughout the process and even when it was almost too late was that the designers got really close to the game and made it very difficult without realizing just how difficult it is. And so it is, it is a very challenging cooperative game. And it's for that reason that if you buy it directly from us, we include a introductory pack that makes the game easier. Um, and so you can play this first, there are two versions of the Green Gully uh, continent in the game. And the introductory version, the promo pack version is the one that I highly recommend playing the first time you play, because it does make the game a lot easier and gives you a chance at winning that first time that you play. Kevin says, have I read any of the Discworld novels by Terry Pratchett? I have not, I have not. Uh, he says, that is my absolute favorite book series, the same type of humor as The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up, Kevin, on a day that we're talking about humor in games. And while I say that, if anyone wants to mention their favorite game where there's humor built into the game, opposed to the game being a funny game, like Just One can end up being funny, um, can be funny as a result of the players of the game. Let me know your favorite funny game in the comments below. Um, but I don't always love funny books. I, I don't love books... It, it's tough for a funny book to really grab me, a funny fictional book to grab me consistently. I have enjoyed funny non-fictional books, like uh, I think Tina Fey has a really funny funny book that's non-fiction, it's about her life. Um, and I enjoyed The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy as a kid, but I enjoyed it more for the sci-fi aspects than the than the humor. So I think I have tried to get into a Terry Pratchett books and found um, found the humor to be a bit jarring. But at the same time, people have continually recommended them to me. So I need to give them another try. My coworker, Susanna, actually recommended a specific book from that series that I want to try in the near future. So I appreciate your recommendation there. Frank is popping in today to say hi. Hey, Frank, I just actually filled out the uh, survey for Race to the Raft this morning. So thank you for sending that out to backers. He says, I just discovered a local disc golf course, which I didn't think was a thing around here. That's awesome. Yeah, they're, they're everywhere. He says, I'm looking forward to finally giving it a go when the weather allows. Thank you for making me aware of it. Oh, thanks, Frank. It is, it is a wonderful uh, dexterity game, essentially. Um, and I hope you have fun with it. I think sometimes the first time you play, even if you have experience uh, throwing frisbees or throwing discs, can be a little jarring. The disc is not going to go exactly where you want it to go. But try different releases. Try different uh, angles when it releases from your hand, different arm movements and find something that works for you. And I hope you can, I hope you can have a good time with your first experience if you give it a try. Um, Jordan has a nice thing. you, Jordan, for saying this. I would like to thank you and your coworkers for your example, giving customer support. Um, thank you. It's, I really appreciate you saying that. I work with, um, I mean, our, our job is customer service. Everything that we do is, is about serving you in different ways. Uh, whether it's the content I create, whether it's the but Joe answering emails or being answering questions on social media. Alex serves our localization partners and Susanna does too. And our retailers and our distributors. Um, these are all our customers and we want to, to serve you better every day. We don't always live up to that promise, but we are always trying to do that. 
Nathan says, I've been working on game design more this year and have found that making fan realms is a good second project to work on while taking a break from my design. Oh, that's awesome to hear, Nathan. And I, I think you have shared a few of them. Feel free to always share your, your fan realms. In fact, didn't you just post one for Clank? Was that you on, uh, on WarGameGeek? I, I think that's really cool. It's actually something a few schools have reached out to me in the last year and asked if um, asked for ideas about game design projects in their classroom. And I, for a few of them, I sent them copies of Rolling Realms and said, hey, play this with your kids, with your students, and have them design a realm based on one of their favorite games. Like have them distill one mechanism down into a very simple realm. I think it is a great game design experiment or challenge to kind of hone some of those game design skills. And uh, and now I'm hearing from you that it's nice to kind of take a break from your main project and just do something fun on the side for a little bit with one of those fan realms. That's really cool to hear. Carol is popping in. So Carol uh, is popping in to say hi. Carol was one of the co-hosts of The Mill this past weekend. Carol and Molly were um, not the, they were, they were new, they were new co-hosts. And Dusty will still be on The Mill but he's also bringing us some new, some new voices, some new faces to share their opinions about Stillmire Games and their thoughts and their, their, uh, what they're excited about in regards to Stillmire Games. And Carol, I thought you did a wonderful job with Molly, and I was so excited to see you two uh, host a, uh, a gift-giving guide for Stillmire Games on the mill this past week. So if you haven't checked out that video, check it out. Um, give, a, give a thumbs up or an encouraging word to Carol and Molly because they, they uh, put a lot into this video, and I, I really, really appreciate it. Chad says, after playing Clank Catacombs, you described it as being chaotic. Does that chaos make you like the original Clank map system more, or is it more of what you were feeling at the moment? You know, I need to play it again, um, and, and I look forward to playing it again, very much so. I think the, I, I like the chaos of the map system, but it also made me really, really appreciate the design of the original boards. Uh, I think I can tell that Paul put a lot of thought into the different routes that you can take and how you get stuck in certain places, have to go elsewhere. And it, it reminded me a little bit of when people were asking for a modular board for Scythe. I ended up figuring it out eventually, but for years I kind of said, you know, this doesn't work. This is a very calculated board. Like I tested a lot of different configurations. This is the board that I think is the best for players. And once you go modular, Mod, like it reminded me that modular isn't inherently better. It does add variability. It might add replayability, but uh, the design of a good board, I think, is probably um, maybe objectively better than modular tiles, uh, unless you're looking for that chaos. And sometimes I am looking for that chaos in Clank. And so I look forward to playing that more often. I think the thing that I won't do, though, is I don't think that, that, that I want that to be someone's first experience with Clank. I think it's too chaotic. There's too little information and too great of a chance that they will get stuck and won't be able to make it out. And I prefer that not, not, that not to be someone's first experience with Clank. Carol says that I backed the Hanami Koji expansions and Geisha's Road. We just got a copy in, and I'm curious to try the new Action Tiles, one of your favorite two-player games that we found based on your recommendation. That's awesome to hear, Carol. I hope you enjoyed. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on those new tiles. I actually did something a little odd with Hanami Koji, a game that I... Well, it's one of my favorite games. It's been in my collection for a long time, but I actually don't play it all that much anymore, uh, partially because Megan doesn't enjoy it as much as I do. And so... Uh, I recently saw a post on Instagram from someone that I've engaged with on Instagram a little bit, and they said they love the idea of Hanami Koji. They haven't gotten a chance to try it or buy it. They haven't found a way to buy it, but they've been looking to try it. 
And so I reached out to him and I said, you know, why don't I send you my copy? If you've been looking to play it, I don't play my copy all that much anymore. So why don't I send it to you? So I actually no longer have Hanami Koji, a game that I love, because I wanted to give it to someone else who, who, might, uh, who might get some joy out of it. And I think she just posted about it the other day. Um, I think, oh, I can't remember her exact screen name. But, uh, but yeah, she posted about it on Instagram and I'm, I'm glad that she's having fun with it now. But I do look forward to hearing about the new stuff they added. If, uh, if you find anything that you're like, I will never play Hanami Koji without this thing. I'd love to hear if there's anything like that in the, uh, in the expansion packs. Jordan says he's read the first trilogy eight times, the Red Rising trilogy eight times. And I felt that Darrow, oh, there's going to be a spoiler here. Um, I felt that Darrow haven't been done just, hasn't been done just. Oh, I see what you're saying. So yes. Uh, so uh, th there's, a, I guess, a small spoiler in, in Red Rising that uh, one of the main characters, Darrow, that we feature as a red character in, um, in the game, uh, doesn't, uh, he, he becomes gold in the books, in the first book. And we didn't make him gold, but we do hint at it, Jordan, on, on the card. So you can see there are, there are gold aspects of Darrow's character on the card. Um, not a gold frame, but a red frame and then gold aspects in his, in, in what his character looks like. Uh, and we kind of gave him the strength of a gold character, even though he's red. But we had debated this a little bit. I mean, it, we didn't want to spoil it for anyone that he becomes that he becomes gold, as I'm doing right now. But uh, it is something that we debated, and it, I don't know if it's exactly the right choice. I think at some point, now that people know the game, I think it's fairly likely that if we do an expansion, if we do like a promo pack or something in the future, that we will offer a gold Darrow card so people can can experience what a gold Darrow would be like. Okay, uh, Chad, so Chad had a quote from Jeff Engelsting earlier. He said, adding dice is better than dice modifiers. Uh, he, he, Chad is saying this. He said, he said he has found that people have a hard time remembering all of the modifiers on the spot. He felt it was better to add custom dice that do the modifying instead. That's a really interesting point. Um, so like instead of saying that you can turn a, uh, a certain result on a die into another result, just instead say gain this this other die that has a greater chance of hitting this result or has um, more more of this result on the faces instead that's interesting i can see that um it certainly does feel good when you get extra dice when you get to roll them i think maybe the one downside and i i, I agree that like removing memory from the puzzle can be really helpful i think maybe the one challenge there is uh well, I mean, there are a couple, a couple of different challenges, including a production challenge. Um, what was the one challenge? I just thought of it, and now it's gone. Uh, the one challenge of adding custom dice to that that aspect. Oh, is because you're still it still is uh, output randomness. Then, like you don't you don't know you're you're still rolling dice and maybe not getting the results that you want. Whereas if you roll dice and then then can modify them into the result that you're hoping for that can make players feel really good. So I think maybe a mix of the two is great, um, is, is for the best, but, uh, but I think this is a great tool in the, in the arsenal to not forget about, that you can have dice that have different odds on them, and that can be really player-friendly if you do that. That's a good thing for me to keep in mind right now with a game that I'm working on, so I'm glad you said that. Alex says, I only follow a handful of content creators. You for games, Linus Sebastian from Linus Tech Tips for Technology. Well, thank you for including me in that very short list, Alex. 
says, the reason is the openness, fairness, and positivity you and him show in your commentaries. Are there, are there other vlogs or blogs that you would recommend not necessarily game related? So the game related things that I would recommend are, um, the best way to find them, I would say, are to look on my, uh, or our, some of our games is charity list of every year. So if you go to Stomar Games, you go to about, and then go to donation request, you will see links to all of our charity auctions. It's under charities in the last nine years. And for each of them, there's a list of content creators in the gaming space that I really, really enjoy and want to share with people. And that's why I include them in that auction. I'll, I'll include that a link in the comments below so you can, you can look for that. As for not game related, what do I enjoy? Here, I'll pull up. I use Feedly and YouTube to mostly subscribe to things. Um, and so it's the easiest for me to look at that off the top of my head. What do I enjoy? Um, in terms of positivity, oh man, that's, that's tough off the top of my head. Because there is a lot of content that I follow, but it, it's hard to, to see it on the spur of the moment. Um, let me think about that, Alex. That there are things I'm just not good at coming up with them on the top of my head, but um, but there definitely are other creators who are positive, who try to stay positive, who are and yet are still fair and and open and transparent, um, and try to share the love of things with the world, um, and try to share their insights and mistakes. I love vulnerability from creators. I really love that when they're like, you know, I messed up, and or or are just share stories that could lead to vulnerability. But I don't have any great examples off the top of my head. But I will think about that. I love that question. And I want to share more creators like that and beyond the board gaming space. Nancy Jane, I asked about games that make people laugh or the humor in the game itself, built into the game itself is great. And she, Nancy Jane says, a boss dog. I've never heard of boss dog. I'll have to check that one out. Clad, uh, Chad says that he enjoyed, not Clad, but I, the game is Clank, Clank in Space. Chad finds that one very funny. I never get tired of the parody characters. There's also lots of parodies in the in the. Um, dungeon crawl version of Clank as well. Chris says, in Tiny Epic Dinosaurs, he likes the puzzle aspect, trying to arrange the dinosaurs and the barriers so the dinosaurs aren't eating each other. That's awesome. Yeah, I like that. Although I need to play it. I'm saying I, I like the idea of it, but I haven't actually played it. Um, that is, I, I love little micro farming puzzles like that, um, whether you're, you're growing something or you're keeping animals separate from one another uh, so they can breed a little bit. Yeah, Nathan confirms that it was his uh, Clank design that he shared on uh, the Clank uh, fan realm, promo realm design for for, uh, for Rolling Realms that he, that he shared. Jordan says, recently I scoured through Tapestry and Plans Employees expansion and found some people drawn without faces. I'm interested, what were the thought process behind making the base games box front flag girl without a face? Without a face. I'm trying to picture, let me bring up, curious what you're saying here. Um... It definitely was not a conscious decision. Uh, Andrew Bosley, I think, just chooses certain certain compositions. Let's see. On tapestry, the front of the box. Oh, I see. Oh, I think that's because that's a. It's a. Uh, it's a. That is the tapestry itself. And I think he didn't want to put too much detail on there. Like it's a just a few colors. I wanted to keep that simple. Um, so yeah, but it might, there might be examples that you can think of on tapestry cards where a person doesn't have a face. It might be because they're in the background a little bit more, like the focus isn't on them. Might be that sort of thing. That's an interesting observation there. I'm going to make a quick note here. Okay. 
Uh, Darius says, about the progress chart, I saw that uh, the art step comes right after design, but before development and testing. I always hear that the artwork should come after all the development and playtesting is done, because if you change anything, you might need new artwork and scrap some. Can you explain a bit more your approach? Yeah, I wouldn't say I actually agree with that approach. I can see why people do that, but it adds significantly to the time frame of getting the game out there. And by the time that we are entering the development stage, the game is pretty far along at that point. And so if we waited until after all that is done, um, it would easily ex extend the game by, or the game is, before the game can even enter production by four months, three to five months maybe. And I don't, I don't really want to do that, especially at that point where I'm getting more and more excited about releasing the game to you. So we start with art a lot early. And yeah, that does mean that sometimes there's art that's created that we don't use. Um, but we always, I try to use as much of the art as possible. I do think the danger here is to do too much art during the design process. Uh, I think there's a, the positive of that is that the art can have a positive impact on the world building, the game design, things like that. But also, if you have that art and you might feel obligated to use the art and kind of to, to like shoehorn it into the game, even though it might not necessarily belong anymore, that can be a dangerous side of it. But uh, but I I don't know. Waiting until after development development and testing just delays the game's release at that point, in my opinion. So I think it's. I think it's worth proceeding during the developing and development and test and playtesting stages. And I'm talking blind playtesting. The game during the design process, that's when a lot of the local playtesting happens. It is heavily playtested during that time. But yeah, development, blind playtesting, knowing that there's probably going to be some illustrations that need to be tweaked or need to be uh, that need to be scrapped, and that's okay as long as it's not a lot of them. Nathan says, oftentimes I take my I take a game my son loves playing to make a realm so we can play them and try them together. That's awesome, Nathan. That's really, really cool to hear that that Rolling Realms has inspired that that creativity in you. Team Hotep popped in to say, I hope you're doing well this week and getting excited for the Christmas season. I'm excited to see my mom around the, the Christmas time uh, this year. Yeah, although I did get to just see her over Thanksgiving unexpectedly. Uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Uh we are still continuing to play disc golf in the cold here in St. Louis, even though it is getting quite cold here. We'll bundle up and play. And actually indoors, we did, this is unrelated to this, but indoors we had a trivia night recently where a friend, I think during the first year of the pandemic, who loves trivia nights, I'm not really into trivia nights, but he decided to host a virtual trivia night where he brought in um, someone who does this for a living, like that host trivia nights at bars and pubs and things like that, not as their full-time job, but as a job. And he brought this, this person in to do a, uh, a, a Zoom trivia night with a bunch of friends. And it was a lot of fun. And we did it again this year. And it was, again, a ton of fun. I think it was around 20 to maybe 25 people. And we broke into two groups and we had to come up with the answers to questions. And then we, we, it stayed very close throughout the entire competition. Um, but I, I liked it. I liked it because there wasn't a lot of pressure on me to get these answers right. Because I'm the type of person where like... I might have a vague idea of the answer, but I can't remember the person's name or the, I can picture it in my head, but I can't actually say it out loud. There was a music category where I was like, I recognize that song, but I have no idea what the name is or who sung that song. But it was fun to have other people to brainstorm those uh, those solutions with and other people that were very, very good at trivia um, that uh, that were that we leaned on heavily. But I had a great time doing that in the warm, warmth of our home uh, and kind of separate, you know, social distancing because it was completely remote and we did it again this year. Looking at my little notes here, see if there's anything else that I forgot to mention this week that's going on. Oh, uh, last Thursday. If you love Easter eggs and games, check out my blog post on the Silmar Games from last Thursday. 
because I did a detailed blog post about all of the appearance, appearances of the St. Louis Arch in all of our games. There were a few that I had even forgotten. There, there are quite a few appearances of the Arch in our games. And the reason we put in the, the Arch in our games is because uh, some of our games is based in St. Louis. Oh, I also wanted to mention that today, this is something I'd make a bigger deal about if we had the if we had this in stock, but Between Two Cities is sold out temporarily. We're making more, but it's sold out. But today is the anniversary of the retail release of the original Between Two Cities uh, back in 2015, I believe. So it's been seven years now that Between Two Cities has come out. This is the year that we announced the new version of the game going forward, the Essential Edition, which essentially combines the original core game with the expansion, the Capitals expansion. Um, but it is not available right now because we sold too many of them, and so we're making more. Yeah. Uh, Carol notes that she loves the subtlety in the Red Rising card for Darrow, um, and that he's red because that's what's in his heart, and he's red and he's passionate about where he comes from. I totally agree. Yeah, I... I Darrow is always both red and gold, but underneath the surface, he is always red. Uh, and I, I, yeah, and he starts out red. So that's why we wanted to make the card that way. And hopefully fans can see those, those little subtleties. And I'm sure Jordan can too. Jordan said he's read the book so often. You can see those little touches of, of, of gold in the art for, for Darrow. Chad says, when was the last time you belly laughed? I'm trying to think of shows that I've watched recently. If there's one instance where I really, really laughed, uh, like the the shows that I'm the comedy shows that I'm watching right now are uh, Home Economics, Mythic Quest, and Abbott Elementary. Definitely got chuckles out of all of them, but I'm not sure if there was a belly laugh out of all of them. There was something like Home Economics catches me off guard of how how funny it is sometimes. I've definitely laughed out loud at Home Economics, but I can't think of what the joke was. Um, and I watched a few movies this weekend. We watched Wakanda Forever last week. And then over the weekend, we watched a movie at home. What movie was that? We watched... Well, I'm talking, thinking about this. Think about any movies that you watched over the last week and let me know if you recommend anything. We watched the movie... Bullet Train. What's Bullet Train? With, uh, with Brad Pitt. Uh... It had some humor to it. I don't know if I laughed out loud during it, but it had some humor to it. It was mostly an action movie on a train. Um, yeah. Jordan says, two weeks ago, we managed to assemble our first prototype of my game design and played it two times. That's awesome. Congratulations. That's that's a huge barrier to get past and actually getting the game to the table for the first time. Congratulations on doing that. He says, I was expecting worse, but both my wife and him were pleasantly surprised. There's a lot of work to do, though. That's great. I, I always expect the worst for a first play test and even a second play test. And so every now and then when something actually works, even if it's just one mechanism that works as you thought it would in your head, uh, that's awesome. I'm, I'm so glad to hear that was the, what happened with yours, your game, Jordan. Another show I, I wanted to mention before I forget is that we just finished season four of For All Mankind on Apple TV. It's an alternate history show about what it would be like if the space race, largely between the U.S. and Russia, continued instead of kind of petering off decades ago and it's a fascinating look at an alternating uh, alternate history that keeps jumping forward in time and season four is incredible season four is really really good and, and i know i'm saying that that means that you would have to watch a lot of tv to get to season four but the other seasons are really good too and just this season like every episode i was like wow this is i'm i'm laughing i'm crying i'm on the edge of my seat it 
so so good so i recommend watching it if, if you maybe don't want to watch all four seasons you probably could just watch this season of for all mankind and, and hopefully enjoy it but uh but yeah i recommend the show and highly highly recommend the fourth season of for all mankind yeah have any of you have you any of you watched that or watched uh, up up through the the last season of for all mankind let me know Patrick says, perhaps waiting until near the end of the game design process to do the art is something for a first project when the designer can't afford to pay for extra artwork. Patrick, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's a great point, especially if you are crowdfunding that project. Um, art is a huge expense, as is graphic design, and you might want to get a few sample pieces that represent the art in the game, like have a few cards. Here's what a few final cards look like. Here's what probably the final box, the final board. You want to have those things done. But the rest of it, is one of the reasons you might be funding the game and might be seeking funding for the game. And you're totally right there that uh, at that point, it's, it, I think, very, very important, especially for a first time creator to have the game as finished as possible in terms of playtesting, even though you might be open to some blind playtesting happening, happening during the campaign itself. And but you won't have much of the art done at that point. You shouldn't be expected to have much of the art done at that point. I'm glad you brought that up. Nancy James says that Boss Dog, the game Boss Dog, is about creating your own dog crime family. You recruit dog criminals by feeding, feeding them Italian food. It's very family friendly. That sounds like fun. I'll have to maybe get that for my nieces and nephews sometime. Adaria was the one who asked about the art originally. He says, I guess the art also feeds the imagination and sometimes even influences the mechanisms. And I love it when that happens. That's one of the reasons that I love getting art fairly early in the process because it does, when I'm building a world, I want the vision of someone who who is creating the visuals for that world to be a part of that process. Um, but it depends on that. So not all games need world building. Uh, Azul doesn't need world building. It's an abstract game. Um, so it's it, you don't necessarily need art for that until the game is is almost completely finished. Chad says, I've heard there's a law in St. Louis that no other buildings are allowed to be built taller than the arch. Is that true? I don't know. I'm trying to picture if there are buildings downtown that are taller than the arch. I feel like there are. I feel like I've heard that law about DC related to safety and like plane, what can fly over DC, but that may maybe that's thinking uh, airplanes and not height. I don't know, Chad. That might be true. Someone can Google it and find out. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure. Chris says for the survey, the demographic survey, was today the day you were making selections for the gift cards to your online store? I made them on Sunday, Chris. I I. I think I may have double scheduled myself to do that, but I ended up making the selections on Sunday. Uh, maybe Sunday afternoon, I think is when I did it. So if you haven't heard from me by now, uh, you didn't get selected, but I still appreciate you filling out that survey. Tim popped in to say hi real quick. To, hope you're doing well. Hope you're doing well too, Tim. Um, Carol has to get back to teaching. Yeah, we're wrapping up in a minute here. Nancy James says, I hope you were going to say, I thought you were going to say Bullet, the classic Steve McQueen movie. I haven't watched that, though, that I need to, but I haven't watched that one. I, this is the, the newer Bullet Train. And actually, someone, maybe someone can help out with this. So I have been on a Bullet Train. I studied abroad in Japan. I've, I've been on a Bullet Train. In the movie Bullet Train, the train seems to stop a lot and only for a minute. And that's part of the plot of the movie, that you only have a minute to get in and out of this train. But when I was on a bullet train, I remembered it feeling a little bit more like getting on a plane and that it was a, a big process to get on the train. That it, the train, it felt like the train was there for longer than a minute, uh, for sure. Like, that seems really, really fast. Um, and I remember 
I thought I remember uh, having my ticket checked before I got on the train, not after I was already on the train. Because it's it's like if you didn't get if you got on an airplane essentially, and they weren't checking for tickets until after you were already on the airplane. But I might be completely misremembering that. So has anyone been on a bullet train more recently than I have? It's been a, been about twenty years for me. And what do you remember about the the onboarding experience of it? Now that's a long shot there to ask, but you know maybe you remember. Few people have said they watched and enjoyed uh, Bullet Train. Chris says he's he only has seasons one through three for all mankind and haven't seen them all. You have a fourth season that I don't. Maybe I'm confusing the fourth season with the third season. Whatever the most recent season is, uh, that in, I'll just say a very small spoiler. It involves Mars. Uh, is the one that I've watched, and, and maybe maybe I'm mistaken the third and fourth seasons there, and maybe there isn't a fourth season yet. Tim says he also loves For All Mankind. He says, I was surprised when the character of Danielle Poole first appeared since that actress is an acquaintance of mine, but had no clue she had landed another role. That's awesome. She has a she has a big deal on that show. That's really, really cool, Tim. Um, congratulations to, to Danielle for, for, for that role. She's amazing. She's incredible. Uh, or I guess the, the person who plays Danielle, not Danielle herself. I think I've hit everything I was going to cover today. Uh, yeah, thank you for joining me. I'm going to go help Megan in the kitchen for lunch, but uh, I hope you have a great... Oh, let's see. One one last thing for Patrick. Uh, two last comments real quick before I go. Patrick says, I just like to... I like to just download art that I can't ever use professionally for, for playtesting to create the mood. Yeah, I think that's fine to use temporary art for playtesting. Definitely helps for that. In fact, I think it's pretty good, pretty important to do the original playtesting without the art and even some of the blind playtesting without the art. Uh, so that you can see if the if the theme is being conveyed through the mechanisms instead of uh, kind of leaning already on the art to convey the theme. Jason Jason says I just played Euphoria with the Ignorance is Bliss expansion, great game. Thank you, Jason, for saying that. Expansion feels essential, especially the artifact market, player boards, and Automa deck. If you don't reprint the expansion, any chance to begin including those components in the core game? Um, we talked about this a little bit. I think it's unlikely that we'll do that. There is maybe a possibility that we will reprint Euphoria in a combined version, but I, I approached our team with that idea recently, and they uh, they don't know if they're seeing demand for that. I think demand for Euphoria, it's a nine-year-old game, has significantly gone down. I don't know if we will be able to justify a reprint of the core game or the expansion. So um, I think it's unlikely that we'll do that, Jason. Yeah. I think we still do have Euphoria in stock and just not the expansion in stock. And, and I'm glad you like those elements. I'm still very happy with how, how the original Euphoria plays, but the expansion definitely does have some of those elements of, hey, let's address this thing that was a little shaky in the core game. We'll put that in the expansion, including the, the solo mode, which wasn't, this is was before the days where we put the solo mode in every core game. All right, I'm going to head off to lunch now. Thank you so much for joining me for today's chat and sharing your thoughts and comments and ideas. I, I love all this. It's, it's, it's great for me to hear your thoughts in real time. I hope you have a great week, and I will see you next Wednesday. Take care.